We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. The world's most exciting podcast. Home of borders, language, culture. And here he is. New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. I'm Michael Savage. Host of the Savage Nation podcast, home of borders, language, and culture. Hear my new podcast each week as I speak with top guests from around the world. Right now, we have over 700 shows in our library featuring interviews with world leaders, scientists, faith teachers, and more, including President Donald Trump, Prime Minister of Israel Ehud Barak, Edward Teller, the father of the hydrogen bomb, Jerry Falwell, and so much more conversations and commentary you cannot find anywhere else. Other guests have included Samuel Cohen, the father of the neutron bomb, Breitbart's Alex Marlowe, the great author Peter Schweitzer, Colonel Douglas McGregor. Be here or be nowhere. The Savage Nation podcast. Catch the Michael Savage podcast on all podcast platforms every Tuesday and every Friday. Hey, welcome to The Greg Kelly Show. I am so proud of this show. It is the best show on television. I am doing amazing things here. If you've been tuning in, you know that this is a different show. It is on the rise. A lot of people are talking about it, and there's no limit to what it can do. Huh? I am a broadcaster like very few broadcasters, maybe no broadcasters in the world. All right. Now, I believe those things. I'll admit, a little uncomfortable to say because in America, we are told to be not boastful, right? We're supposed to be self-deprecating. I have felt that pressure all my life. You're not supposed to stand out all that much. It's polite to not boast. Oh, good job. Oh, not me. It was my team. Oh, that was great. Nah, just dumb luck, right? We've all said that before. But why? I actually think it's unhealthy. And We all can't be Trump, of course, but does Donald Trump do that? Of course he doesn't, all right? If you want to be the president of the United States, I think you have to have a healthy ego. And by that, I mean healthy, like it's actually good to see yourself like this. I'm like a smart guy. You know, I'm really smart. I think I'm a great father. I'm a very stable genius. I think I'm such a genius. I'm a great Christian. I'm a big businessman. I, I have tremendous business. I'm a very smart guy. I got good marks. I was all this. I went to the best college, the Wharton School of Finance, which to me is like the greatest business school. Now, regular people don't talk like that, but regular people can't be the president of the United States. I think there's something to this. I actually think it's very, very healthy. And more people should not beat themselves up and put themselves down publicly. Now, tragically, the self-deprecation is like the letter of the law at the Pentagon. 
the Pentagon, right? These guys are responsible for winning wars. But over the past 40 or 50 years, somehow it's become very stylish to say, oh, I'm just a general. I'm, I'm not that good at anything. <laughs> um, they do it and it's wrong. Thank you all for being here, and I know it's a very, very special day, and um, I can assure you that I was not magna cum laude, did not major in physics, was not Phi Beta Kappa. <laughs> Although I graduated, it was just barely, and I was in the half of the class that made the top half possible. Good to see some familiar faces. I'm shocked that you're here, since you know me so well that you would spend your time to listen to what I have to say. But And, and I told her, I said, you know, the problem, I guess, we're newlyweds, I guess the problem is that I'm a perfectionist and you're not. And she said, yeah, that's exactly right. That's why you married me and I married you. <laughs> I think if 35 years ago somebody said, gee, Dick, we see you as a four-star Air Force general uh, standing on some stage at Kansas State delivering some lecture, I'd have been the first one to start laughing. The uh, loudest laughter, though, would have come from all my friends who know me quite well. It's cute, I guess, kind of, but not for a four-star general. Yeah. And um, do you think MacArthur would have put himself down like that in public? How about Eisenhower? Was he into self-deprecation? Did the troops want to hear him put himself down on the battlefield, even as a joke? You know, it's kind of no wonder today's current crop of military generals can't get along with Donald Trump, it seems. A lot of them, at least, because Donald Trump doesn't play this self-deprecation game. And self-deprecation, you know, it kind of lets you off the hook. When Mark Milley goes out there and brags about how dumb he is, no one's going to expect all that much. When we lose Afghanistan and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff has already said publicly a thousand times how dumb he is, well, that lets him off the hook in some way. In some way, shape, or form, it does. It lessens the pressure. It lessens our expectations. Donald Trump would not have let this happen, in part because he told everybody he's a genius. He has to live up to that. He has to live up to that. You know, there are a lot of folks out there who say they like President Trump's policies, but not his style, not the bragging, not the boastfulness, not the brashness. I've always liked his style. The policies, yes, but also even especially the style, the candor, the authenticity. That's what makes it work. Now, Mark Levin. I'm a fan of. I don't get to listen to the show as much as I'd like, but I happened to catch it last night. And he had this remarkable uh, speech from a professor by the name of Tom Klingenstein at the Claremont Institute. He makes the same point that it's the style of Trump. Actually, it's the essence of him that's just as important, if not more important than the policies. Take a look. Trump was born for the current crisis, the life and death struggle against a totalitarian enemy I call woke communism. Trump is a manly man. In present time, when manhood is being stripped of its masculinity, traditional manhood, even when flawed, is absolutely essential. Trump ripped apart people he thought were weak. Sometimes he went overboard, but his supporters excused his excesses because strength is in such short supply. Trump 
has the courage to defend his own people. Trump plays to win. When you're in the right, you have a moral duty not just to fight, but to win. He, unlike the woke calm, loves America and wants to preserve the American way of life. Trump is unreservedly, unquestionably pro-America. I love it. And you heard what the professor said. Strength is in such short supply. Indeed it is. We have generals. We have a military at times bragging, joking about how weak they are. That's not good. That's not good at all. So uh, we thank Professor Klingenstein and Mark Levin. Hey, strength may be in short supply, but there are some strong people out there. And I am very impressed. Here in New York State, we got a guy named Lee Zeldin, a congressman. He may be the first Republican since 1994 to take the governor's mansion away from a Democrat. He's within four points of Kathy Hochul, who is a total disaster. Take a look at Kathy uh, campaigning this past weekend. Look at the guy next to her. Yeah, that's Al Sharpton. Uh, she's campaigning in what they call a rose garden type strategy. All she's doing is showing up at ribbon cuttings and things like that, you know, pretending that she's a governor instead of actually being a governor, helping us with this horrible crime problem we have. It's no surprise that she is ducking debates with her competitor, Lee Zeldin. Uh, no, she is not interested in debating. Uh, she's been invited many times and she declines. Who else do we have here? This is happening a, a lot with Democrats. Carrie Lake is ready to take on her opponent, uh, Miss Hobbs, but she is absent from the debate stage. Oh, and Dr. Oz is ready to take on uh, Fetterman. Uh, Fetterman has been touch and go. Actually, it looks like he may be debating Oz. It's it's back on. Could it be on? Yeah. Uh, he said he's open to a debate. Now, that's going to be one interesting debate. Number one, I want to go back to Trump for a moment. He's totally got the number of uh, Mr. Fetterman here. Fetterman may dress like a teenager getting high in his parents' basement, but he's a raging lunatic hell-bent on springing hardened criminals out of jail in the middle of the worst crime wave in Pennsylvania history. He wants everybody out of jail. <laughs> Guy in his parents' basement doing drugs? Is that what he said? Yes, that's what he said. Fetterman, I'm sorry. And what is going to happen in that debate? Fetterman had a stroke a couple of months ago, and I hate to say this, but I think we're still seeing the effects. Please understand the stakes in this race. Send me to Washington, D.C. to send so I can work with Senator Casey. And I can champion the union way of life in Jersey, in, excuse me, in D.C. Thank you. Thank you very much. And it's an honor. I live eight minutes away from here. And when I leave tonight, I got three miles away. Dr. Oz in his mansion in New Jersey. You've got a friend and you have an ally. Send me to Washington, D.C. Thank you very much. Thank you, Steelworkers. Wow. Uh, not good. Not good. He could just he really wants to go to Washington, D.C. He could just take the train there. Uh, we'll see what happens, folks. All right. Final word for those in the military. OK, if you are wearing our nation's uniform, that means you're smart 
That means you're strong. Don't lie to us and tell us you're weak. More importantly, don't lie to each other at those gatherings you have and put yourselves down. That has got to stop. I don't know who made it fashionable, but it doesn't work. It never did. Stay with us, folks. A new movie about Hunter Biden, My Son Hunter. They didn't want this movie made. It got made and it looks great. We'll be right back. heard about this? Eliza Fletcher. Uh, She was found dead. Um, Beautiful woman, 34 years old, married, mother of two, a pre-K teacher. Uh, So she went out jogging early one morning and she was kidnapped, it's believed, and attacked and murdered in her car. Police believe this individual is responsible. Uh, Cleotha Abstin, What a record he has. He was charged with aggravated assault and rape at the age of 12. He served 20 years in prison for kidnapping. He is charged with first-degree murder, among other charges. This This is really bad. We have seen this all too often. However, the mainstream media, they want to put the brakes on covering stories like this because of, well, the race of the victim missing white woman syndrome eclipses the thousands of missing people of color in the U.S. every year. There certainly is a disparity between uh, when you have a missing person of color and a missing white person. Gwen Eiffel, I think, coined the term missing white woman syndrome. Another example of missing white woman syndrome, because when people of color go missing, it's barely covered by the media and mostly ignored by the public. Why not the same media attention when people of color go missing? Well, the answer actually has a name. Missing white woman syndrome. Now, the data suggests that it's not quite that simple. And there are some socioeconomic factors that may uh, attribute to what some perceive as a disparity in coverage. But hey, look, media are awful. Wouldn't it surprise me if they're very selective in their coverage, but they've gone overboard. Uh, they have no respect, it seems, for missing white women or white women, period. Watch this. This is a typical case of a white woman, white womaning, right? So we see the disrespect, we see the privilege. White women have taken an active role in the maintenance of white supremacy. When you're a white woman and you're a Republican, there's just certain stuff culturally that you don't know jack bleep about. My advice to white women is, man your own goddamn business. You see how this is encouraged, tolerated, right? This kind of content. For a race and gender of people, white women, it's pretty disgusting. This media report, though, this this takes the cake in unfairness and hostility toward people uh, who are white and women. The confrontation caught on video, a white woman blocking a black tenant from entering their apartment building, demanding proof that he lives there. That white woman was canceled because she had an argument with somebody, a stranger, who was trying to get into a building 
where she lived. You know, have you ever lived in, a, in an apartment building? <laughs> Neighbors? She didn't know the guy. Anyway, they canceled her. They canceled. So this is a very toxic stew right now in America for white women. I really believe that. And who knows what happened to that poor girl who worked at the furniture store in Los Angeles? Did she look at that guy the wrong way? Did something snap because of all the reports that uh, he may have been hearing about white women and how they don't get it and how uptight they are and they're on antidepressants and they're this and they're that? How about the girl who worked at the phone store in Phoenix? Yeah, she just said, can I help you? And was beaten to a pulp by this guy who I don't even think took anything. Uh, And in Boston, watch this. New video shows the disturbing attack in downtown Crossing. A 20-year-old woman beaten and kicked by a group of juveniles while she's already down. One of them as young as 12 years old. So later it came out that what they were yelling at her about was her hair. It was a white woman's hair. They did not like her hairstyle because it reflected the hairstyle of a white woman. This is pretty crazy stuff. And you saw those media clips from, from earlier. They're fueling it. They're definitely fueling it. We have major, major problems in America. We have so many crises. What were they doing today at the White House? It's a Wednesday afternoon. It's a weekday, okay? At about 2 o'clock, this is what they were doing. Showing off new portraits of Barack and Michelle Obama. They were there. This went on for like four hours on a workday afternoon at the White House. On and on and on. Speeches from everybody. Everybody had a party. They were so happy to look at yet another picture of Barack Obama. Do we really need another one? I remember the one with the leaves, right? And he's sitting in a chair with no tie. This one was a little bit different. And this is how out of touch they are. You, saw, you, you know the crisis. We see it all the time. Barack Obama gets to the podium and says this. You have guided us through some perilous times. You've built on and gone beyond the work we all did together to expand health care, to fight climate change, to advance social justice, and to promote economic fairness. Thanks to your decency and thanks to your strength. Maybe most of all, thanks to your faith in our democracy and the American people. The country's better off than when you took office. And we should all be deeply grateful for that. So thank you so much. A big wet kiss for Joe Biden. Did he happen to see the speech last week? His decency? He said that half of America are enemies of the state. All right. So I'm sure things look just fine for Barack Obama. After all, he doesn't live like us, okay? He uh, gets on the private jet, off the private jet, mansions in Hawaii, Washington, uh, Martha's Vineyard. What's really happening out there? We saw a little bit of it a moment ago. How about this? A new study. Take a look. 56% of American families are going through financial hardships right now. Next, is this worth a thank you? 35% of American families cannot afford basic needs. 50% of American families who are black or Hispanic cannot afford basic needs. But (laughs) they had a nice time at the White House today, not working on our basic needs. And every time I see these guys together, I think, you know, Barack Obama took a pass on Joe Biden in 2016. Barack Obama is the one who said Hillary can run, not Joe Biden. Why did he do that? 
Hmm? Why? He knows Joe Biden. He knows his limitations. He knows about Hunter and all those shenanigans. Absolutely. Barack Obama is a pretty savvy guy. And he actually spent time with Hunter. Hunter, a full-blown addict when this picture was taken. Um, yeah, that's why he went with Hillary Clinton. He knows this guy's limitations. And maybe he's supervising him right now. The new movie, they can't keep this from us. They tried to. It's called My Son Hunter. Some fair-minded and very talented artists got together to tell the Hunter Biden story, and they didn't leave out the laptop. Here's the trailer. Just a taste. Go to mysonhunter.com and there's a way you can rent it or buy it for a couple of bucks. It looks fantastic. We know some of the people who have been on this show who created this film, My Son Hunter, the movie that Hollywood and the Bidens don't want you to see. All right, one more time. This is taking off, by the way. Liberal plus chaos equals Biden. If you're ever having an argument with one of your liberal friends, this is a very easy mnemonic device. If you need one, maybe you don't. Of all the reasons why <laughs> we don't want the Democrats to win this fall. Number one, liberal. This is all pertaining to Joe Biden. He's a liar. He's incompetent. He's bizarre. He's erratic. He's a racist. He's angry and he's lazy. Plus chaos. And what does the chaos stand for? Crime, the Hunter Biden problems, Afghanistan, losing obscenity, forcing children to talk about gender, even switch gender, the supply chain issues. And it equals Biden. We have no border. We have crazy inflation. We have disunity when he promised us unity, energy issues, gas prices and no respect around the world. Other than that, everything is going fine. Stay with us. It's like Bill Barr replaced Jeffrey Tubin as the legal analyst over there at CNN. And what's up with his drinking? The former attorney general causing all kinds of, uh, eh, I don't know what he's doing, but it's interesting. We'll be right back. It's our America. We built it. Courage. Freedom. Millions go to Newsmax when they need to know. Start today on the free Newsmax app. Newsmax is real news for real people. All I can say is, is that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? All right. So a former president of the United States may or may not have had some classified documents in his possession. A president of the United States. That is a very, very special status, right? Don't you think, right? Former president of the United States. Only 45 people have held that office. It's a big, big deal. Should he have classified information? I'm actually totally okay with that. And by the way, it looks like he declassified it, as is his right. He had the authority, so it may not have been classified anyway. So... Why is it that a former president of the United States, if he has this stuff, which he was entitled to, certainly at one point, nobody would contest that, they want to put him in jail. But when the fake news has classified information, they can put it on the front page of the newspaper and give themselves awards and make movies about themselves. This is a devastating security breach that was leaked out of the Pentagon. 
the most highly classified documents of the war. I'm talking about exposing years of government secrets. Is that legal? What is it you think we do here for a living, kid? If you publish, we'll be at the Supreme Court next week. We don't hold them accountable. Who will? We can't hold them accountable if we don't have a newspaper. She can't do this. The legacy of the company is at stake. What will happen if we don't publish? We will lose. The country will lose. So moving. A movie about the Washington Post that was competing with the New York Times to who could be first to publish the Pentagon Papers, top secret documents from the Pentagon. And they put them in the newspaper and they pat themselves on the back to this day. Isn't that a little bit hypocritical, to say the least? And speaking of hypocrites, how about that Bill Barr, or as I call him, the slouch? Ever notice the way he sits on TV? It's like he's at the bar. I mean, the bar. More on that in a moment. Uh, But this is the way he talks, and he just sounds like any other liberal legal pundit. If, in fact, he sort of stood over uh, scores of boxes, not really knowing what was in them, and said, I hereby declassify everything in here, that would be such an abuse uh, and, uh, that, uh, and su- show such recklessness that it's almost worse than taking the document. People say this was unprecedented. Well, it's also unprecedented for a president to take all this classified information and put him in a country club. I don't think the appointment of a special... Uh, master is going to hold up. But even if it does, I don't see it fundamentally changing the trajectory. I don't really care what he has to say. He has joined the swamp. He's back where he started from, right? I mean, he's owned by them. He actually has to make money. He has to sell that book. He has to go back and work for that law firm uh, or at least make amends. He's got he's of the swamp, folks. He made a speech at the Federalist Society. He played the bagpipes. So what? He is a swamp character. And I don't know what's going on with him and drinking, but uh, (laughs) this is him on uh, Dateline with Lester Holt. And uh, they wanted to get a picture of him reading, so he broke out the scotch. I found that a little bit unusual, actually. I used to like Bill Barr for a nanosecond when he understood and was not afraid to communicate what he still knows to be the truth, that there were problems, big problems with the 2020 election and changing the rules Well, how did you put it, Mr. Attorney General? Changing the rules mid-campaign is what? So far, we haven't seen widespread fraud. But so far, we haven't tried it. Well, the point is, there's been a lot of us. uh, There are several states that only have mail-in voting, including a Republican. Well, this is playing with fire. This is playing with fire. We're a very closely divided country here, and if people have to have confidence in the results of the election and the legitimacy of the government. And people trying to change the rules to this to this methodology, which, as a matter of logic, is very open to fraud and coercion, is reckless and dangerous. And the people are playing with fire. Wow. As a matter of logic, being logical here, it was open to fraud and coercion. And it's reckless and dangerous to do what they did, change the rules, violate the law they did, especially in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. What happened to you? What happened to you? Why did you get so scared? I think he's scared. If you want to talk about the uh, drinking situation, I can help. Seriously. All right. Also this, the uh, media in general, they're still hyperventilating about everything, especially Mar-a-Lago. 
The documents contain information about such highly classified operations. They require special clearances on a need-to-know basis, not just top-secret clearance, and are often kept under lock and key. Lock and key? The security required lock and key? Well, everybody knows that they were in a storage room under lock and key. Wow, what a... I mean, she just made that sound so dramatic, so so exotic, right? What a security system. Lock and key. This is Kristen Welker. This is what she does. Everything, everything is dramatic. Overnight, a stunning new twist after last month's search at Mar-a-Lago. Tonight, a surprise decision in the battle over whether to release the affidavit behind the search warrant of Mar-a-Lago. It comes amid dramatic new details about the FBI's move to execute a search warrant at Mar-a-Lago. This morning, a new twist in the battle between former President Donald Trump and the federal government over those classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. Grainy black and white footage makes it look really scary. Uh, Everything's astonishing, shocking. Wow. This is Kirsten Welker. She helped throw the debate for Joe Biden back when, for some reason, they let her moderate the thing. Let me ask some folks, please respond, and then we're going to have follow-up. If this stuff is true about Russia, Ukraine, China, other countries, Iraq, if this is true then he's a corrupt politician. Right. So don't give me the stuff about how you're this innocent baby. Joe, they're calling you a corrupt politician. Nobody hey, President Trump, I want to stay hell. on the issue Excuse of race. Me. We're Take talking about the, the issue. Take laptop from hell. President Trump, Nobody. we're talking about race right now, and I do want to stay on the issue of race. Interrupted to bring it back to race. When they wanted to talk, Donald Trump wanted to talk about the laptop. She went with the whole, oh, it's misinformation. How dare they? I still resent the hell out of all of them, just about. Uh, All right, wrapping this up. MSNBC, this is one of the worst offenders. Uh, Carol Lenig, I think her name is. She writes for The Washington Post, and she's really good at making mistakes. There are two buckets of documents that we discovered and thought was newsworthy enough to publish this story. The first bucket was information that describes or details a foreign government's nuclear capability. The second bucket of records that we learned were extraordinarily sensitive and seized at Trump's Mar-a-Lago club. So why don't I believe anything she said? Because she only had a few hours to write that story. And I know she makes mistakes. I read her book, Zero Fail, The Rise and Fall of the Secret Service, and noted just off the top of my head about 10 mistakes. I mean, pretty serious factual errors. And when you're writing a book, you have uh, plenty of time to write it. So uh, I don't trust anything she writes uh, overnight, okay? And also the DOJ... They're feeding uh, a narrative that they want out there, and often we know they feed false narratives. They do it all the time. Hey, stay with us. We're going to meet this guy who was there on January 6th. He didn't break anything. He didn't hurt anybody. He was holding public office in New Mexico. He just lost that job. They called him an insurrectionist, and they found a way to get him out of his job. It seems like an injustice to me. We'll be right back. Information. Truth. Is freedom. Is Newsmax. It's real news for real people. Hey, 
That's Coy Griffin. He's from New Mexico, but it looks like he's uh, riding his uh, horse. He's a cowboy right up Park Avenue in New York City. Now, back in New Mexico, he was the District 2 commissioner, uh, an elected commissioner in New Mexico. He also was the founder of Cowboys for Trump. Look at Coy Griffin right there in the Oval Office. Now, Coy Griffin was there at the Capitol on January 6th. Now, as far as I know, he did not hurt anybody and he didn't break anything, but he got in trouble. He actually went to jail for about uh, two weeks, it looks like. He's out of jail, but he's also out of a job. Uh, A judge ruled that he participated in an insurrection and he can't hold office anymore. We've got some stuff to say about that, but first, Let's welcome Coy Griffin back to the show. It's been a while, sir. We saw you way before the Appreciate you having me on, Greg. Hey, great to have you. Hey, first of all, I'm right. You didn't break anything. You didn't hurt anybody. I'm looking through the charges. Uh, That's correct, right? That was proven through my criminal trial in Washington, D.C. I was charged with uh, disruptive behavior and disorderly conduct. Both of those charges I was acquitted on. Uh, Yeah, I was convicted on a misdemeanor trespass charge. I didn't go inside of the Capitol building. Um, I didn't do anything that I didn't think that I couldn't legally do. Uh, But yet I was arrested on a misdemeanor trespass charge and I spent three weeks in solitary confinement in uh, what is now known as a D.C. gulag. Yeah, that is one crazy situation. Uh, I'm sorry you went through that. And especially... (laughs) You know, you didn't you didn't go inside the Capitol. It seems ridiculous. All right. Tell us a little bit before they maneuvered you out of the job. But first, tell us about your job as the New Mexico District two commissioner in Otero County. What was that all about? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm in my one and only term. I I ran in 2018, um, took office beginning in 19. And, uh, you know, I wasn't in office very long and I saw the president making great efforts towards our border, which we're a county affected by an unsecured border. So I I formed the group Cowboys for Trump simply and solely and only uh, to support the president, his America first agenda. Um, as you've shown there with me on my horse, I went many miles uh, and uh, visit with lots of folks about the importance of the Trump administration and supporting it. Um, and then that led me, as you mentioned, to January 6th on the nation's capital, uh, where I stood shoulder to shoulder with like-minded, peaceful patriots as we uh, tried to bring attention to what we now know were fraudulent elections. And, uh, and you know, the, the government doesn't like resistance. They don't like people um, standing up and standing strong in our rights. And that's what has led me to where I am today. Now, when you say fraudulent elections, what I focus on is Wisconsin and Pennsylvania in particular, because they violated the Constitution. They violated their own laws in both those states, especially Wisconsin, with those ballot drop boxes, which they have finally determined were by the state Supreme Court illegal. So there's a judge named um, Francis Matthew, and he came after you. Um, or how did this happen? You have the state job and they, they tried to take it from you. And in fact, they did, but who started that? Yeah, well, just to roll you back a little bit after January 6th, there was a recall effort here in my County that was waged against me, um, that failed miserably. I, I withstood a recall campaign already where the people spoke, but since they couldn't get me out of office through, uh, the people, 
Now they, they've done it through the courts. Uh, a civil lawsuit was filed against me with plaintiffs that live outside of my county. Um, and some of the biggest legal minds in America, from Lord Stride, Dan Abrams, Erwin Sherminsky, uh, the NAACP, they all joined in on this civil lawsuit. And uh, I was essentially put on trial for insurrection. And uh, through a bench trial, one liberal judge in Santa Fe, New Mexico, uh, he took away the will of the people of Otero County and removed me from office under the 14th Amendment, which I'm the first elected official in over 100 years that has been removed from office under these grounds. Uh, the 14th Amendment, Section 3, does read, let's see here, that no one can hold office, uh, executive or judicial or any state to, uh, that shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. The thing is, sir, <laughs> insurrection, that is, well, to me, it's not debatable. You are not an insurrectionist going there, exercising your First Amendment uh, right, and you didn't break anything, you didn't hurt anybody, you didn't threaten anybody. That's not an insurrection. What are your plans? Can you appeal this? Are you appealing it? Absolutely. I've got some great legal counsel that is finally coming on board. I wish I would have had them uh, through the civil trial, but um, we're not, I'm not going out easy. I'm not going to lay down for them. I've, I've fought ever since I've been in office. I fought against the COVID mandates. I've stood up strong for our Second Amendment. I've stood on a strong conservative platform, and uh, I'm going to fight through this appeal, and we're going to win because this liberal judge in Santa Fe, New Mexico, Francis Matthews, does not have jurisdiction to rule in regards to an insurrection, first off. And to think that he has the power to remove an elected official is absolute nonsense because by his ruling and by my yeah. removal, that will mean that the radical progressive Democrat the governor of New Mexico will now hand select who to replace me and who to represent the people. So we always hear all this, our democracy is under attack. Absolutely. The case in point right here today. Exactly. It's happening to you and your constituents. I only have 10 seconds left. Are you a full time cowboy? Well, I uh, I'm a stonemason by trade. I work with my hands and uh, hard work has never scared me. And, and I'll continue working hard if it's laboring or working for the people. I love it. A stonemason. Wow. That's uh, that's very cool. Coy Griffin. Thank you very much. Good luck. Stay in touch. And we'll be right back. So they were back. The Obamas at the White House for a celebration all about them. I, I thought they already had portraits. I really did. I, I saw other ones. They look different. Anyway, any opportunity to talk about themselves. Here's Michelle. What we're looking at today, a portrait of a biracial kid with an unusual name, and the daughter of a water pump operator and a stay-at-home mom. What we are seeing is a reminder that there's a place for everyone in this country. Oh, give me a break. We know that already. Abe Lincoln grew up dirt poor, okay? We know that about America. And is she, for a moment, maybe proud of America? Is she there yet? Hey, that whole funny name thing, it reminded me of something. Uh, it reminded me of her husband referring to the funny name. Do you remember this? The hope of a mill worker's son who dares to defy the odds. The hope of a skinny kid with a funny name who believes that America has a place for him, too. 
It's all about them and their story. Well, somebody who's on to this couple and has been for a long time is our guest, Joel Gilbert. He's an investigative journalist. He's brilliant filmmaker and author. His latest film and book is Michelle Obama 2024, Her Real Life Story and Plan for Power. Joel, welcome back. How you doing? Hey, great to be here. And uh, yeah, it was a, a, another big day for the Obamas. And I think particularly for Michelle, she's all politics all the time. Uh, what you didn't show is the political statement she made about the peaceful transition to power, clearly a uh, swipe at Trump. Uh, she used talked about our democracy. She uses all the standard catchphrases of the Democrat Party. She never really has an original thought, but she's really good at talking points. And she's uh, really a better politician than Barack was, a better speaker, and comes across more authentic. You know, you're right about the speech. And don't worry, I got that little soundbite. Uh, she does take a swap, swipe at, at, at Trump. It is kind of subtle, or maybe not so much. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and play that one, please. It's, uh, it's uh, the last one. Traditions like this matter, not just for those of us who hold these positions, but for everyone participating in and watching our democracy. You see, the people, they make their voices heard with their vote. Um, we hold an inauguration to ensure a peaceful transition of power. Those of us lucky enough to serve work, as Barack said, as hard as we can for as long as we can, as long as the people choose to keep us here. And once our time is up, we move on. Okay, I get it. It was a, uh, a swipe. Look, you think she's running for president. You made that case before. What yeah. came through to me is, uh, you know, she's doing the whole our story routine. That's how Barack Obama became president, talking about the, the story. Right. And America fell for it. Are they going to fall for it this time? It's just a story. And quite frankly, it's not that special. Yeah, she has a, a story that's pretty much as fictitious as Barack's story. She did repeat it in this event today. She said... A girl like me from the South Side, I'm not supposed to be here, shtick, that she's been repeating for about 15 years. She's actually not from the South Side of Chicago, as they show in my film. She's from South Shore, which is on the lake, on Lake Michigan. Her father was not a water pump operator. He was a precinct captain for the Democrat Party machine in Chicago. And he had this job working for the water department uh, as a patronage job, because his job was to whip up the neighborhood and make sure they come out and vote for the Democrats. So uh, her story is fictitious. She's a very privileged kid from a, a privileged political family. And as I show in the film, she really uh, ran away from the black community her whole life for high school, for college. She worked for the Democrat Party machine. She was the assistant planning commissioner, made about 20,000 black people homeless when she knocked down the projects at Cabrini Green. And then she had this whole patient dumping scheme that she engineered working for the University of Chicago Medical Center where she would actually take black Southsiders and put them in these vans and dump them at these crappy clinics to prevent them from having access to health to care. But as a politician, she wants you to believe that she's a rags to riches story and she's one of these ordinary black folks that she spent her life exploiting. Uh, wow. Well, all right. Now, even her if, if her story is fictitious and I think you've got the truth, uh, it's actually not that compelling a story. I mean, we've heard it before. We've heard it throughout our history. I don't think it's such a big deal. Do me a favor. Play the I've always wondered clip. 
I've always wondered, where does that supposed to come from? Who determines it? And too often in this country, people feel like they have to look a certain way or act a certain way to fit in, that they have to make a lot of money or come from a certain group or class or faith in order to matter. Again, we know that's not true about America. We have known it for a very long time. If she does run, and I only have a few seconds left, what? This is nonsense. It's going to come out, or maybe it won't because the media will cover for her. Uh, but what would she run on if not this bogus story? I mean, it's not like she's a successful business lady or, or much of anything. <laughs> Well, she's following Barack's formula. Barack wrote Dreams from My Father, a successful book. She wrote Becoming. Barack was the keynote speaker for John Kerry in 2004. She was Joe Biden's keynote speaker at the convention. Barack had Project Vote, voter registration organization. She started When We All Vote. So she's got her basic story, rags to riches, which is not true. And then she just repeats the Democrat talking points, and she's pretty damn good at it. So I think that's what you're going to see. All right. Joe. Amazing work, as usual. Check it out if you can. Go to michelleobama24.com, and uh, it's your website, and the, uh, the content is amazing. Thanks very much, Joel Gilbert. Thank you. We'll be right back. Real heroes. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. No agenda. Just the facts. Newsmax. Real news for real people. Thank you so much. To be continued, I'll see you tomorrow.